0: I've been a lawyer for 20 years.
1: Do judges, like, shake their hand at you and say, order, order? No,
0: I do not think I've ever heard a judge say, order, in the 20 years I've been a lawyer.
1: Well, you should try harder, John. (laughs) (laughs) But
2: what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today.
1: Hello and welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today's nerds are...
0: Dan Watkins Ian Mayer, Peter Johnson Prisoner B117 John Farthing
1: (laughs) And I'm Hazel (laughs) Thurston. On our show today we've got some brand new recommendations for you that we've been enjoying recently and we'd like to share our insights with you. So let's get started. How is everyone? It's very good to be back. It's how, all are so how are you? That was just everyone's voice at once. What <laughs> <laughs> the fuck did you just say? <laughs>
3: we were asking how you were and if you're happy to be back, Hazel. <laughs>
1: uh, yes, I am. I'm feeling good. Thank you. I wasn't too well, both physically and mentally, for a while there, but a bit of a break uh, from work and just a bit of focus on myself has uh, so, so kind of really helped. So, uh, yes, I am delighted to be back. Really, really pleased. Uh, lovely to see you all hurrah yay <laughs> didn't miss you oh, okay thanks john <laughs> what have i missed
2: i'll tell you one thing you've missed you were present a couple of podcasts ago when i revoked john Farling's opinion oh, privileges yeah. mm-hmm. since then he's give a film 10 out of 10 without seeing it and then had to revise his opinion when i'm seeing it it was utter garbage Hmm. So, I think more punitive measures need to be <laughs> in place. So, whether we revoke John's speech privileges, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, just floating it out there.
4: Should have Louise attach some electrodes,
2: maybe. I think he's got a problem and he's got a, you know, the first step's admitting it.
0: Yeah, well, we do have a car battery attached to my nipples. And at the mention of <laughs> Nicholas. <Scals>! Oh!
1: <laughs> John, what was our deal? We made a deal like, but what, five days ago? What was it?
0: I'll be good and you won't touch the electrodes.
1: (laughs) 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 That was the second rule. What was the first one? (laughs) I I
3: missed most of that conversation, Hazel, because you asked what did I miss and I just got Davy Diggs in my head.
1: Is your Funko Pop order already in there, Dan?
3: I kind of want to wait for the full Hamilton cast to be available as Funko Pops. The six that they've announced do look good and i do want most of them despite being a bit of a funko skeptic but if you can't get jefferson and lafayette is it really worth it no or not. king george
2: get them now get them because you <laughs> won't when you finally want them get yeah. them now
0: they will sell
1: just to go back to uh, uh the little thing with john because he does actually seem like he he's totally forgotten even though it was a few days ago i gave you something john in return for what
0: you give me a book to read. I can't remember what I promised in return.
1: You said not to mention Nicolas Cage on the podcast. No, I didn't. I did not say the <laughs> Nicolas Cage.
0: <laughs> 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 what was the book? Uh, Woman in Hollywood.
1: Woman versus Hollywood. Oh,
0: yeah. Ah, the new Hilderoy Harbour book.
3: Is it good? Have you read it, Hazel, or is that your recommendation?
1: It's not my recommendation. It'll probably be my recommendation in a couple of weeks when I have read it. There was an ordering snafu, and uh, I ended up with two. Uh, One was a gift, and the other one uh, wasn't. (laughs) So uh, we wandered over to uh, John's house, very, very socially distanced, and gave him a copy because he was interested in reading it. And frankly, I think John would be better off reading it just as a person. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) To quote Richard Herring, I am a great feminist, I think women should be treated as if they're equal. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it's so, so far, so good. I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm actually reading it in her accent because her personality is, um, you know, shining off the pages. So it's it's really, really good.
4: Do you always do that when you read an autobiography? It's very hard not to hear the person's voice in your head if you if you know them. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Especially if they've got a distinctive writing style as well. Recent ones I've read have been Trevor Noah's mm. and Bruce Springsteen's. And they both write the way that they speak.
4: Do you imagine Bruce Springsteen just singing it all?
3: Yeah, it's it's a very lyrical autobiography. He talks in a lot of metaphors and uses a lot of imagery rather than just, I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this.
4: Is it all about cars driving down roads and things?
3: There's a fair bit of that, but it's actually been possibly the most helpful mental health book I've ever read. I read it at a point where my own mental health was at its lowest. He is incredibly frank and open about the struggles with depression he's had and how long it took him to actually get help and see a therapist, which he now does, but still has a lot of trouble with depression. And me reading it at that point was one of the turning points. It was kind of, well, if Springsteen can go and ask for help, I can do it. So I will always be grateful to his book for that. Hmm. But yeah, lots of car metaphors as well.
0: <laughs> when you read books, you read them in the voice of the author. Did you not get an awful lot from The Diving Bell and the Butterfly?
3: Oh, <gasps> dear me, John. Good literature knowledge, but dear me.
1: I, I don't I don't get that reference.
3: No, I don't either.
0: It was a guy who um, couldn't speak. Oh Oh,
1: John Am I right he
0: dictated the book by blinking?
3: He only had extremely limited mobility and ability to communicate But Uh using what ability he had, the book was dictated And I
0: think it became a film as well It was a really, really good film I'm going to forget who started it I I wouldn't worry
1: John, it's not ending up in the podcast this bit
0: No, so (laughs) so when you read Helen Keller's autobiography
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, like I said John, I think this book will help you as a person (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> I had one of those stupid questions that occurs to you occasionally. So I was reading that children's TV star Mr. Ben is now 50 years old and he's he's been shown on children's TV
3: for decades and a movie's currently been discussed. Who would you cast in live action, Mr. Ben? Oh, I thought about this once uh, during the phase when everything was getting a gritty reboot and I automatically leapt to Christian Bale as... Ben.
1: <laughs>
3: dead wife, dead children. Oh, wow. He visits the only shop in the dystopian wasteland that is his future, and he just goes and cries in a cupboard for two hours, but <laughs> believes he's off having adventures.
2: It is a superb high concept. You know, like a, a, a regular, mm. extremely average Joe who visits a costume shop, puts on a costume, then like, lives that life for uh, a little while and has an adventure. I'd go Paul Bettany at the moment.
4: Yeah, I'd, I'd put him in anything now. Way. <laughs> oh,
0: that's
4: not what I meant, Dan, you know it.
0: I like Daniel's idea, but instead of him not leaving the company, he does go out and have an adventure in the costume as that person. But every episode ends up with him in jail. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: actually, a rejected storyline from the first series of Mr. Bed is him going to prison, would you believe? Oh. Yeah, the BBC weren't having it. They're not. And the other one they rejected was putting on a Santa Claus outfit because they could only show it one time a year. Oh, of course. Mm.
0: Mm.
3: Who would you cast as the shopkeeper?
2: Joe Pesci.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you doing with a fucking costume on? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would pay to see that. got to be someone who looks like he could shiv you.
4: The other weird thing, which I found out, is the shopkeeper stuff was retrofitted onto it. So mm-hmm. uh, he had this idea of someone in a night costume and going back in time, and then he kind of had to come up with a device. And then they said, "Oh, you can do all these other things. What's going to happen in the other stories?" And he was, "Uh, I'll get back to you on that."
2: <laughs> Those were the days. I'm pitching a TV show. What have you got? A guy dresses up as a knight. Good, but you need more. Well,
0: well, didn't Monty Python famously pitch the idea, and like the BBC said, "I don't like it. You can only have 12 episodes." So it used to be, you know, back in the sixties, so easy to get any idea on TV,
3: provided you went to Oxford, Cambridge, or both.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, it's not that different now, looking up Alex Horn, who I hadn't seen in anything before Taskmaster, and it's like, oh, yeah, Cambridge, right, fair enough. Yeah, Yeah. that explains how he's got a show. It doesn't seem to change that system. I'm pretty sure Greg Davies didn't go there.
1: No. He was a teacher, but uh, not a very good one by all accounts. But it's
3: not (laughs) not his show, though.
0: It was an Edinburgh show originally, wasn't it? Was it? We were wondering whether it would...
3: Ever yeah, be a fringe, fringe show. show,
4: yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. And was that was just with Alex?
0: Yes, just with Alex yeah. on as a, as a fringe show where they would do it once a year and get lots of comedians mm. who had fringe shows on to come and do it.
3: I mean, now it would sell out instantly, but it would yeah. have been great to have seen back in the day as well.
0: Mm.
2: i feel like taskmaster has passed me by i've (gasps) only ever seen like two or three episodes randomly
3: yeah it had passed us by as well until about a month ago when we decided to start watching it and it's great we always thought we didn't want to watch it because we assumed it was either like a stunty gross out kind of show or a pranking the public Mm. kind of show and i don't Uh know where we got those impressions but it's not that at all and it's really funny It's really good entertainment of an evening and we're having loads of fun with it and it's just a shame it's taken us this long to find it.
2: It's like a sort of very slow celebrity crystal maze as far as I can tell.
0: (laughs) The thing that works with it for me that makes it work really well is having the same comedians for the entire series. You get to see the relationships between the comedians, you get to spend a lot more time with them than you would on a 20-minute panel show.
4: Are there many that you've perhaps changed your opinion of after seeing them on that?
0: I've never been a fan of Rod Gilbert, but I think he was quite good value on it. Mm-hmm.
1: I loved Rod Gilbert. He he and Greg Davis are very, very close friends, and you can mm. see that. But... Um yeah, and I've I've gone back and watched quite a few of his stand-up shows, and I think I've maybe recommended his TV show on the podcast before about his work experience. Oh you, yes, you have, yeah. yeah. I thought he he came across really well.
0: I think what doesn't work sometimes is when there's wacky comedians who want to come on and do it in their wacky comedian character rather than playing yeah. it as themselves, and sometimes that can that can fall a bit flat. I always find as soon as someone turns up for the task wearing a costume, that's mm-hmm. like I'm going to struggle with you.
1: Yes, I think subtlety is the key, and like, because the tasks are based around doing something quite remarkable. So if you approach it in a straight-laced way and then pull it off, it's incredibly entertaining, and they're all they're also surprised by their own levels of either shitness or, or, mm-hmm. or genius as well, which is always funny to watch.
0: Somebody like um, David Badil, who is by all mm-hmm. accounts a very intelligent, again Cambridge-educated comedian, just collapse would face with the most simple thing is hilarious <laughs> to watch Yeah,
2: are there any actors specifically who you've disliked in the shows they've been in and then you've seen them in like real life or do something different and it's changed your opinion for
0: the better i can touch with my taskmaster Catherine parkinson on the new series mm-hmm. i really didn't like her in the it crowd oh i did and i thought she came across really well on the series very posh and very befuddled, but uh, in, in in a nice way. Mm. Have you
4: watched Humans? I haven't, no. Because that's much more a sort of straight acting role, which she's very good in as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The actor who plays Jean-Ralphio in Parks and Rec.
4: Ben Schwartz. Yeah.
2: I hated Jean-Ralphio. <laughs> I hated Jean-Ralphio. <laughs> I think
4: you're supposed to.
2: <laughs> I know. But it took me seeing him in person for me to believe it was an act.
4: Mm-hmm. uh. Uh-huh.
2: And now I love both him and John Ralphie. Yeah. It was a complete judo trick on my mind. After I'd seen him and saw how much he was bringing to the performance, I now thoroughly enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But before then, I thought, you're a horrible human being, <laughs> and I want nothing to do with you.
4: In the new series of Staged, yes. he plays their agent. Him and
3: most of Hollywood.
4: It's seamless, doesn't it? It's everyone. It's ridiculous. If mm. They had Whoopi Goldberg,
3: Frost and Peg. I think Tennant and Sheen must have just got their address books up on their phones and saw who was available. Because you, you never quite know whether it's going to be Ken Jong from Community or Michael Palin or anyone mm-hmm. from the UK or from America. It's interesting the second season because they've taken the first season and in the second, the first season of the show was actually a show that they made. And it's added a whole meta layer to it that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. So
4: is it true that season three is going to be set in the
3: American Wild West? Probably, yeah. Tenants in the Old West, he's travelled in time again. (laughs) That doctor.
1: Ian, if you've fallen in love with uh, Ben Schwartz, have you seen Standing Up, Falling Down? No. It's a semi-autobiographical film where it talks about him struggling as a stand-up comedian and it also stars Billy Crystal in a a rare role for him. It's a lovely, low-key film. I think you'd really enjoy it.
2: Ooh, that sounds entirely my bag, yeah. Mm. I, um, I'll i have to track that down. Thank you.
1: You're welcome.
3: I can tell you what we spent our Saturday night doing this weekend, if you'd like to know our crazy lockdown well, we plans. Well, don't want all the details. Well, you might, because we crushed our enemies. Mm-hmm. We, uh... I've forgotten the second part of the line. Was there some <laughs> lamentations uh, involved? Yes, we did hear the lamentations of the women.
0: <laughs> okay.
3: So we, we crushed our enemies, we saw them driven before us, and we heard the lamentation of the women. Because with Disney Plus, we've got Star Now and Conan the Barbarian's on there.
0: If you had a list of things you never thought you would see on Disney, Conan the Barbarians, (laughs) is fairly high up there.
3: Yeah. What did you think? Quite a lot of fun, actually. I was expecting it to feel really, really dated. And in a lot of ways, it's dated better than other fantasy films made around that time. I watched the 80s Clash of the Titans a few weeks ago and that has aged very poorly indeed. It's tedious, Mm -hmm. Clash of the Titans, but Conan feels like it could have been made at any point over a long period of time. It doesn't feel specifically early 80s.
1: Can I just say, this review is very different to the impression that we got from your messages last night. Yes.
3: yeah, The, The first
1: message was... It's very phallic, isn't it?
3: Yes. Well, the first <laughs> five minutes are people rubbing swords up and down and sticking yeah. them in snow and things.
1: Then the next one was, he just punched a camel in the face. Why?
3: Not over that yet.
1: <laughs> and then your third message yes. is an orgy. <laughs> That's... No
3: explanation whatsoever. There was an orgy <laughs> and it got interrupted by James Earl Jones. Spoilers, turning into a snake for some reason. Yeah. But by that point, by the point of the orgy, we were we were quite into it as a film. It was,
0: um, yeah, it, it was... There's nothing worse than being at an orgy and not being quite into it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah. Does James Earl
4: Jones do all his own heavy breathing for Darth Vader, Dan? I think he must.
3: I can't imagine <laughs> anything else. Is it because he's at an orgy? Yeah. <laughs> Although there was a fair bit of uh, father and son lines, which I assume they just stuck in because Empire Strikes Back in had just the come out. In Shortly afterwards, he and Conan have a bit of a, a dialogue <laughs> and James L. Jones's lines all seem to mention either the word father or my son.
0: Mm-hmm. Have we all seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's video that he put oh. out?
1: Say that again, John.
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: There we go. <laughs> and we've
0: all seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's video that he put out after the Capitol riots. It's about how right-wing fascism can take root and remembering his father during the World War and how it broke him and everything. And it's, it's beautiful. And then about halfway through, just for some reason, he pulls out Conan's sword and starts waving it in front of the camera saying, this is Conan's sword and it represents everything you don't. It's bizarre.
2: I recall it being a great film. It must be 20 years ago since I've last seen it, but I recall it being like, quite a solid film. If I remember rightly, it was written by Oliver Stone.
3: Yes, yes, he was one of the credited writers.
2: So it was The Sword and the Stone. Oh. Hey.
0: And John Milius?
2: Yeah, John Milius directed it and changed the scripts in a way Oliver Stone didn't like, but they are still friends. It's a very solidly written film. It's got more depth than you have any reason to expect it to.
3: I don't want to say we had low expectations, but I was kind of half expecting either to find it really naff or quite boring. And it's neither of those things. It's got some weird bits. The phallic swords at the start are weird. Why did he punch that camel? But (laughs)
0: the
3: the way the story plays out, the minimal dialogue, a lot of the shots and the cinematography are absolutely gorgeous. And it's a lot of fun. We weren't bored at any point during it, which is not always the case with fantasy films and epics from. Decades gone by. Sometimes, like I say, they have aged badly. Conan, not so much. No lamentation from us. So, uh,
4: not that this is the recommendation section yet, but how many phallic swords would you give it out of
3: ten? Six phallic swords out of ten, and one two-headed snake <laughs> at an orgy.
1: <laughs> so, speaking of the recommendation section, shall we do one?
3: Yes. Let's. Yeah, let's all do one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, Who would like to do the first recommendation? And for our audience, this is things that we have been enjoying recently, and we'd love to talk about them so that maybe you can enjoy them too.
3: I would like to recommend something great called The Great, which we have recently discovered on all four. It had been on the Amazon Prime channel Stars Play before that, but because that's a pay channel, not a lot of people had seen this show. I've been loving it. It's the occasionally true story of Empress of Russia, Catherine the Great, who, in the 18th century, was one of the most important royal figures. But it's not a historically accurate period drama. It takes the formula of that genre and completely upends it. And I'm going to favourably compare it to Hamilton in that sense, in the way that Hamilton revolutionised the musical... (sighs) This does the same for those kind of costume dramas. It does colourblind casting. It's got this chaotic, unpredictable, anarchic tone to it. The scripting is so unique and stylized, It's like nothing else. The way they use swearing is absolutely brilliant in this show. It's better than the way it's been used in any other thing I've seen for years. The costumes are great. The sets and locations are great. And it's rounded off by incredible performances by Elle Fanning as Catherine but particularly Nicholas Holt as the emperor, uh, Peter. No relation to you, Peter, obviously. Um, (laughs) But I'm Peter the (laughs) not-so-great. Well, so is he. And um, Peter the Great in the show is his dad, and he's struggling to live up to that, but in the weirdest, most fantastic way you would ever believe. Uh, If you've Seen Nicholas Holt in anything before? You have never seen him like this. He is phenomenal. From one second to the next, he's completely unpredictable. You've got no idea what he's going to say, what he's going to do, and you can't take your eyes off him for a second. He is what makes it worth watching by himself. The fact that everything else is great around him is even better. As a performance, it's one of the funniest, most enjoyable performances I've watched for a really long time
4: i've only seen a couple of minutes of it and it was like him walking down a long corridor and he'd been encouraged to talk to the people that he ruled Mm -hmm. and uh he goes up and talks to them and they all look like rabbits in the headlights (laughs) as soon as he comes anywhere near them it's oh my god he's talking to me but yeah it's very good i've liked him in everything i've seen him in and totally different characters as well like mad max fury road is an entirely different character to this obviously yeah (laughs)
1: It sounds like the dream job for an actor, you know, uh, coming up through acting school and you're in this role where it's just incredibly unpredictable and you get to really just push yourself to the limit. It sounds like a bit of a dream role.
3: To use an improv comparison, when an idea really lights you up and you think, I know exactly what I'm doing here. This is going spectacularly well. I think that must be the feeling he has all the time playing this part, seeing what comes up for him in the scripts. Because it can go from deciding at a dinner party to serve the heads of your enemies who were killed on the battlefield the previous week, to admiring a bird in a fountain. Mm. And sometimes that can happen within 30 seconds of each other. It's gloriously unpredictable. We've been having loads of fun. There's a couple of episodes of the first season left to watch, but it has been commissioned for a second. So we will be looking forward to that. You said it was particularly good swearing. What does that mean? Swearing in films, particularly after the peak TV boom of HBO shows like The Sopranos and The Wire, people would be swearing for the sake of it and it didn't add anything. Yeah. It seems like they're you know dropping F-bombs and C-bombs just for the sake of it. In The Great, Peter uses those F-bombs almost like you would get up and go, Right, I'm making a cup of tea. He'll get up and go, Right, fuck off. Let's go. Huzzah. (laughs) And because you don't expect that kind of swearing from an 18th century royal court, it works a little bit like The Favourite, which he was also in in that it feels a little bit incongruous. So there's that little bit of shock value added to the words that you're so desensitized to. You can be having a lovely conversation between a husband and a wife, and he'll just go, right, uh, shall I fuck you now? And, and then off they go. <laughs> and he treats it completely normally. Like even Game of Thrones is just like, oh yeah, he's saying some naughty words. He, 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 look at some boobs.
0: <laughs> where? where?
1: Which,
3: which is season one of game of thrones kind of up. Yeah. yeah much as i love it
1: and where can you watch this show dan
3: uh, you can see it on all four in the uk so the first nine episodes of season one will be available by the time you're listening to this hmm. i think it might be a hulu show in the us
1: are we getting hulu
0: stars is our equivalent of hulu Well,
3: star, which is different from stars.
4: Yes, sorry, star. Which is all really confusing for everyone.
0: (laughs) But we're not getting a lot of the Hulu originals because ironically they're on stars, not star.
2: I do hope before the wave crashes on the streaming wars, someone offers me several million pounds to make a six-issue miniseries Mm -hmm. because it feels like the content war is such that just everyone's generating so much TV all the time to try and attract you to a new streaming service.
0: Maybe your glitchy reboot of Mr. Ben might get there in the end. Who knows? (laughs) Mm. How many well-placed fucks out of ten does it get?
1: (laughs) How many boobs out of ten? You know
3: what? Uh, (laughs) Haven't seen the last couple of episodes yet, but I am willing to... Uh, go out on a Russian limb and give it the full 10 boobs slash well-placed F-bombs out of 10. Huzzah.
0: Huzzah. <laughs> Huzzah. Huzzah! <laughs> All right, who's next? Uh, we talked about streaming services, so I could go next and talk about my recommendation. Ian, do you think we fact- should allow John to recommend anything?
2: I don't know. It's it's a coin toss at this point, isn't it? <laughs> I mean,
1: it is. <laughs> Have you seen, Have you one, seen the yeah.
3: thing you're recommending this time, John?
1: Yes. <laughs> is this like the time you recommended netflix (laughs) because you hadn't come up with anything so you were like uh there's an app
3: (laughs) you know what i downloaded netflix after he recommended that it's
2: quite
1: good now
2: nicholas cage is not the only factor in your opinion (laughs) privileges being revoked but it's up there so on this thing you were recommending that you haven't seen that much of, how much of the remaining content contains Nicolas Cage as a percentage?
1: Bearing in mind you're not allowed to say the words, Nicolas Cage. I think there is a surprisingly small amount
0: of <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola's <laughs> nephew on the service.
1: <laughs>
0: ah,
3: Jason Schwartzman.
0: Jason Schwartzman's yeah. not in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talked about Oxbridge earlier. Is Francis Ford Coppola the American Oxbridge? (laughs) Like, if you're related to him, you get a career regardless of talent.
2: I think cautiously you can proceed, Mr. Farthing.
0: I I feel you may regret this when I get into detail on 1970s Italian exorcism movies.
1: John, (laughs) I regretted this a long time ago.
0: Okay, so um, my recommendation um, is Arrow Player, which is a new niche streaming service launched by Arrow Video. I've recommended their Blu-rays and DVDs in previous episodes. And what they are known for is taking genre stuff, real niche cult films and to some extent TV series, and treating them with a lot of love and care. And it will be meticulously restored, and they will go to a lot of effort to put a lot of really good solid features on there. Now, physical media being what it is in 2020, they have moved into the streaming wars with a service that I would probably say is closest to Shudder, maybe? it's aimed at a specific audience and that being perhaps (laughs) actually i think that audience is probably you from having looked at most of the movies on this channel (laughs) so it's full of basically non-mainstream cinema there's a few big titles on there there's Donnie Darko is on there and we need to talk about kevin the david cronenberg crash is probably you know these are kind of the most recognizable films but the majority of it is a mix of well-known amongst cult circles, exploitation, Italian horror, Japanese films, world cinema of the last 30 years, together with some very obscure stuff that even I've never heard of. But what they do is they you don't just get the film, you get a lot of the extras on there. So, for example, Deep Red, the Dario Argento horror film, is on there. In the English dubbed version, the original long Italian version, there's a commentary track that's on there as an option. There's a couple of hours of documentaries delving into 70s Italian, Gallio Cinema and so on.
4: So are we talking like criterion level extras or DVD? Um,
0: Criterion level. So there's no fluff on there. So there's a lot of um, Takashi Miki stuff is on there. Audition is on there. Happiness of the Catacombs. Tetsuo is on there in the sequel and uh, Tokyo Fist. And then you go into the Italians, a lot of Argento stuff in there, Lucio Fulci, Mario Barra. Names that mean nothing to most people, but if you know, if I've given you those names and your eyes or your ears have lit up, this really, really is a streaming service for you.
3: Have you got th- two or three things in particular that would be the absolute must-sees um, on the platform?
0: Um, Ian is shaking his head sadly at me, but all the Gamera um. films are on there. <laughs> you're you're tempted, aren't you, just for that?
2: The streaming service that gets the whole Godzilla back catalogue has got my subscription. I'm not sure about Gamera (laughs) so much, but there we go. But, John, I have a a question for you. This is why I was sort of smirking throughout your recommendation. (laughs) Well, it's not the only reason. (laughs) When you've had a hard day, you just want to relax, you want something comforting, do you find, like, you know, obscure Japanese torture ghost cinema and just (laughs) sit there with the commentary and just go, Ah! Bliss. What I want is to relax with a nice glass
0: of red wine, sit on the sofa, the dog on my lap, to watch a 60-minute black and white Japanese film about a man whose penis turns into a drill. <laughs> I mean, that's... What? Yes, yeah, this
2: is... Honestly, that's the vibe you give off. So I'm really not, not surprised. You know, and like, Paul Louise. John's partner Louise she must just walk into a room and you're sat there with a beer and on the screen you know a Japanese woman sawing a guy's foot off with a piano <laughs> wire and just you know nods knowingly leaves
0: <laughs> she has an occasion walked into the room just looked at the TV and went nope and turned around and walked out
4: <laughs> wise was that when Mandy was on ah,
0: she wise. loves Mandy
1: she really doesn't would you like a couple
0: of recommendations then because there's a, there's a th- you yes. get 30 30- no <laughs> God, no no <laughs> you get you get 30 days free um so i would recommend uh, i would recommend audition which is one of takisha more mainstream films audition is the story of a man who loses his wife and after a few years of grieving decides that he wants to meet a new wife is concerned about how you would meet somebody so him and his friend who is a film producer set up a fake film where women audition ostensibly for a part in a film, but in reality to be his new wife. It's kind of like a Tom Cruise autobiography, allegedly.
3: (laughs) That line's staying (laughs) (laughs) in. I thought you were worried about staying out of jail, John. Hugh Bonneville was very good in Paddington. (laughs)
2: Tom Cruise was good (laughs) in Tonga. Yeah,
0: Yeah, so he auditions and he meets a, a lovely young lady who becomes his wife, and then some subsequent twists that I won't spoil, but have you seen it, Ian Mayer?
1: I have,
2: yes.
0: It, it, it swerves, doesn't it?
2: It begins almost lightheartedly, mm-hmm. and it swerves into territory which can in no way be described <laughs> as lighthearted.
0: Deep Red is on there, the Davy Argento film, um, which is a really, really good example of 1970s gallo. Some cheesy 80s horror is on there. Demons, Demons 2 Prime Reanimator, Society, some of the highlights of really good practical effects that were done in the 80s. Um, Society in particular is a really. Very weird. Really film. weird film. And unfortunately, it has been ruined because I think everybody knows the ending because it was plastered all over the VHS and the DVD covers. Again, it's a film where you, you, you start off with a very nasty, biting satire on Beverly Hills. Uh, and finish
4: with some really nasty bites yes
0: <laughs> 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 i would recommend society as a double build with heathers which is also on there i think they're tonally a little bit similar but society is um not for the faint-hearted yeah,
4: heathers is like the disney version uh, yes of
0: society. <laughs> if, if mean girls is the disney version of heathers then heathers is the disney version of society and finally, I would like to talk about a lovingly restored version of 1970s Italian Exorcist ripoff Beyond the Door, um, which is a film that was a really weird success in America. I think it cost about $200,000 to make. It was released in America on the back of The Exorcist and took sort of $15 million over there. It got to the point where Warner Brothers actually sued the studio for the similarities to The Exorcist. I think Warner Brothers gets a share of the film royalties now. There's a lot of pea soup in there and head spinning and bed levitating and so on. But it has that really weird, unique sensibility. The director is a guy that made a little bit of a career of ripping off Hollywood films. He went on to take over Direction of Piranha 2 this morning after James Cameron was fired. Hmm. It was filmed in San Francisco, um, but with a multinational cast. And you'll notice this in a lot of the spaghetti westerns of the time, is you'll have a multinational cast and they would just all speak their own language on sets. And then it would just be overdubbed for whatever country it was released in. And that adds quite a surrealistic odd air over the entire thing. But it's 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 loopy and it's really quite inventive for what is obviously just a, a quickie ripoff. You know, you start with the devil addressing the audience in voiceover. The devil's quite cool, you know. It gets like a little monologue and then you've got some freeze frames, lots of jump cuts and so on. Obviously kind of inspired by cinema of the time. And it's too good to just be dismissed entirely. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a great film, but just to be known as the kind of the long forgotten Exorcist ripoff, I, it deserves, I think, a revisiting. And the Arrow restoration is great. It looks like a brand new film, so I would definitely check that one out. But um, Arrow overall, it's a five a month to get a free trial.
4: Do you think with some of these services, because obviously there's a huge amount of uh, streaming services coming out. And they're all going to be competing for the same slice of your entertainment budget. Do you think it makes sense to maybe dip in and out of various different services, apart from the one or two key ones that you watch all the time? Mm -hmm. So you might say subscribe to something for a month or two and then duck out for six months and then come back in and see what it's got that's new.
0: I think a lot of people might have done that with Disney Plus last year and why Disney is now making sure they've got a new episode or something every week. Because I imagine a lot of people might have jumped in for Disney for The Mandalorian. Hamilton, maybe, yeah.
3: (laughs) And then once you've got Hamilton, you watch it every week anyway, so... True story. You're set.
0: (laughs) And there's the two National Treasure films in there with
1: Nicholas...
3: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think you're right, Peter. I think the more these streaming services come out, because I know Paramount Plus is a thing now as well. And we've got Disney, we've got Now TV, we've got Prime, Netflix. I don't think I could add... Any more to my entertainment budget without getting rid of one. So I think it will be a case of you keep the one that has the thing you're currently watching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when, for example, Game of Thrones was on, you kept Now TV as long as Game of Thrones was on. Mm. But if there was nothing else that interested you until the next season of Game of Thrones, that one might fall by the wayside and you bring back you know, your Paramount for your Frasier reboot and then that's all done, by which time the Book of Boba Fett's on Disney and you mm-hmm. grab that for 10 weeks and then Game of Thrones is back, mm. by which I mean the prequel.
0: A lot of people are doing quite a big discount on those so, sort of Disney Plus and Arrow as well. I think it's sort of cheaper to get for a year than a month, which might be their way of mm. trying to, to to avoid that level of churn.
1: I think what will end up happening is... You know, like Disney Plus is a bit of an umbrella brand for a few channels. So what you'll end up with is maybe paying for a couple of subscriptions, maybe paying more yeah. for them per month, but ending up with um, a few big brands and therefore getting more stuff out of one subscription.
3: Yeah, yeah. that's starting to happen in America now uh, with Peacock. The NBC streaming service has bought the WWE Network which has thousands and thousands of hours of wrestling content, that was its own thing. They made a ton of money selling it to NBC. Mm -hmm. But now if you want that network, you've got to get Peacock as well. So you're probably spending less Mm. than if you had both of them separately. But if you only wanted one or the other, you're probably paying more.
0: So what you're saying is, instead of just paying for one streaming service, you're going to pay for lots of streaming services, including lots of ones you probably don't want, and pay a big amount Mm -hmm. every month for lots of, say, channels of content. (laughs) I think I know where you're going with this, John. So, basically, we're going back to c- cable.
1: <laughs> so, John, how many incredibly disturbing drill penises would you give Arrow out of ten? Um,
0: I would give it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry
2: that you're putting thought into this.
3: Yeah, please do a score for a John and a score for yeah. the likes Normal
0: of me. The, the yeah. um, for me, it is an eight out of ten, and the only reason it is a ten out of ten is because of rights issues, which means that there's Sections of the Arrow collection that are only available in the American service and not in the British service. And there's a few little holes in the catalogue. If it wasn't for that, it would be a 10 out of 10. For a normal person, (laughs) I don't want to give a score, but I would recommend that everybody just gets it for a month and has a play through it. And you will find there is a lot of interesting stuff on there. It's not all terrible horror movies. And I think this sort of thing might be the future for streaming services in that you're going very, very niche. It's never going to get a million subscribers, but it could easily get 10,000 very, very vocal subscribers who are going to support it, and maybe that's enough for a small service like that, and maybe the future is niche services cater to your, your specific interests.
1: No, thank you. <laughs> Who's next?
4: Dismissing <laughs> <laughs> the entire thing. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go next. I'd like to recommend something called Resident Alien, which is the latest series to feature Alan Tudyk, who's an actor I've been following ever since Firefly.
1: Is that the reason for the restraining order?
4: <laughs> Not that sort of okay. following. That was Nicholas Hoult. Huzzah. In this new show, which is just coming to Sky and Now TV in the UK, Tudyk plays an alien on his way to destroy Earth but he crash lands in the Colorado mountains and kills and replaces the first person he comes across, a reclusive, retired doctor named Harry van der Next thing he knows, he has to take over as town medic when their doctor's murdered and interact with what, to him, is the alien species infesting the town. Unfortunately, there's one person in the town that can see him for what he really is, the son of the town's mayor who sets out to unmask his secret. Uh, we're about five episodes in. and We're definitely enjoying it, but it's weird because it's such a mixed bag
3: tonally. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it heavy on the sci-fi? or Both and neither, I would say, in a way. <laughs> you have a few comedy
4: characters, like the local sheriff, but the people closest to him, such as the woman who runs the surgery or the bar owner across the street who is desperate for a man, for want of a better description, uh, they play it very straight, like they're in the drama. Tudyk plays the Doctor in a very old manner, as though he's always still wearing the bug-eyed alien costume. Though we normally see him as a human, except when the kid's looking at him, he sees the bug-eyed version. But his performance is so strange, it's kind of amazing the townsfolk don't all think there's something very wrong with him. And just as you think as you know where the show's going, to some sort of cosy resolution where he realises humans are wonderful, His voiceover says say something very dark, reminding you how his essential mission is there to come and destroy everyone. So that makes it very odd, and you don't quite know how to take it, but that also kind of makes it interesting because of that. And how is Alan Tudyk in it? He's good. The question might be whether he's playing it too weirdly. Uh, John, I think you've seen it, is that right? I haven't yet, no.
1: I think Ian McLaughlin's seen
0: it. I can pretend to be Ian McLaughlin, and you can ask me the question.
4: Is the answer going to be knobs, willies? Yes. Here, have a look at my trousers. Yes.
0: Because
4: <laughs> <laughs> in that case, I'm not going to ask the question. Ah, oh, it's like he's back on the podcast. <laughs> right. I've enjoyed the unpredictability, and I do intend to stick around to see where it goes.
2: Uh, it's not for everyone, but you won't know whether you like it or not till you I try really it. Tried it. It sounds really interesting to me. It sounds almost like Doc Hollywood, but he's an alien, not a plastic surgeon. Yeah, kind of. right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm willing to give it a go because I like Alan Tudyk in pretty much everything from Firefly to Death at a Funeral to Rogue One. But I have heard very mixed things about Resident Alien. There are people mm-hmm. who think it's pretty good and there are some critics who really didn't like it at all. I
4: think if you don't get it, you, you don't get it. Yeah. It depends maybe whether you prefer something very safe so you know where you are with a thing mm. or whether you
3: like that. Uh, unexpectedness do you think you knew what side of that you fell on fairly soon or are you still working your way into whether you're like or dislike
4: kind of enjoying still working it out mm-hmm. strangely enough and there, there are many different reasons you can watch a series for it it just needs that little spark of something to take your interest to make you come back next time to watch it yeah. and you know because you don't know how it's going to turn out is is kind
3: of a good thing yeah so it has the spark Which not every series does. I'm not a big fan
0: of deliberately quirky. Am I not going to enjoy it? I'm not sure if it's the
4: sort of deliberately quirky you hate. Mm -hmm. I I know what you mean. Uh, It's almost like they're trying to be annoyingly quirky. But but I wouldn't say it's that. I I would say he is slightly misjudged a bit. But that doesn't stop me enjoying it. The name is odd. Resident Alien... I went out with an American girl who was over visiting here and I think her dad was English and her mum was American or something and she once showed me her resident alien card which I thought was a weird <laughs> thing to carry around. But that's what the name comes from. It means someone who lives in America who <laughs> isn't only an American citizen.
3: Was she an alien, Peter?
4: <laughs> that would explain a lot. Did you get an
0: adult herb? <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, but I didn't ask for
0: one
1: <laughs> Is Judith watching it alongside you? Yes. When's the podcast going out?
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, she's finding it pretty much the same. And and I think some of that stems from the same sort of feeling about Alan Tudyk and Firefly Allegiance, in that there are so many things you watch, almost because someone who was in Firefly is in it.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> My leaf on the wind. Uh,
3: no, too soon. Still too soon. But yeah, I've watched every episode of both seasons of The Rookie mm-hmm. because Nathan Fillion's in it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All
0: of Castle.
1: Speaking of, have you started watching Castle yet, Dan?
3: I think we'll probably finish The West Wing before we move on to another drama series. But Castle is next on the list. Now it's on Star. So, so Peter, how, how many... many.
1: Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, Dan. no.
3: Let's do it at the same time and see whether we come up with the same one.
1: <laughs> how, many how many leaves on alien the wind out of ten?
4: Since <laughs> I couldn't hear either of those, I <laughs> will um, I
3: will give it seven and a half aliens in disguise.
1: Mmm. It's quite close to mine
3: all right fine <laughs> I'm, I'm above this i'm a leaf on the wind <laughs> yeah watch how i soar. not for long still too soon <laughs> uh hazel what have you got for us
1: well, I would like to recommend something that has been a bit elusive in recent years, and that is an action film starring Gerard Butler. Gerard? Gerard. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and it's really good. <laughs> so it's a film called Greenland, and it's been out for uh, a month or so for Amazon Prime users. And the plot might sound a little bit familiar but go with me for a second it's about a comet that is flying towards the earth and it's about to cause a bit of bother so <laughs> it original. doesn't sound like a late 90s film and there's
0: do Swift do the theme tune <laughs> and if not why not
1: i was singing it internally throughout but but don't let that uh put you off because there is definitely a nod to those types of films which is a good thing because i think the 90s was definitely the best decade for movies but it's got loads of stuff that is completely original as well i'll tell you a tiny bit about the plot without going into spoiler territory Jared Butler doesn't play an action hero. He plays an everyday man called John Garrity and he is a structural engineer and we first meet him at the top of one of the skyscrapers that he's built. He has a, an ex-wife who is about to become an un-ex-wife. Anyway, it's, a, it's complicated. Is this uh, an X-Men
4: sequel? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, his wife is played by Marina Baccaran and he is about to move back in with her after they have been estranged for, uh, we're not entirely sure how long, but they have a son called Nathan who has diabetes, which becomes a little bit important at one point. Um, so this comet it, it's set to arrive. It's called Clark, for reasons <laughs> best known to the screenwriter. And it is way 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 more destructive than anybody thought so originally everybody thought that it was like oh you can go outside and you'll have this great view of a comet passing really really close to the earth and some bits of it might fall off but you'll be fine but yeah, uh, all of Florida gets taken out by a single fragment. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're going to yeah.
0: lose one state. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John,
1: This isn't like, oh, we're not going to have to apologise to all of Australia again, is it?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, um, bad news, all of Florida has been destroyed. Good news, Trump put up Mar-a-Lago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there we go. You win some, you lose some. Uh, So yes, it turns out that Clark is a big motherfucker and it's set to take out all of the earth for much of the next few days, dropping bits as he goes. So, Jared Butler, he gets a text message, which is a presidential alert. And he and his family have been asked to go to a nearby Air Force base. They have one bag each and it's all because they are being evacuated. So that's when I'll stop talking about the plot because I'll start talking about spoilers. But um, I really, really, really enjoyed this film. I think it's very tense. You get involved with it. Your emotions go through a bit of a roller coaster. I do think it's quite well written. As I say, it calls back to some of my favourite action films, but it's not too derivative of them. Um, it, It definitely has something new to offer. I think Gerald Butler is great. He gets to do his native Scottish accent rather than trying to do an American one, which still comes out Scottish. Bless him. Marina Baccarin, she gets a lot of screen time, which is quite unusual for um, this kind of action film. Normally, the wife stays at home and worries from you know by looking at a TV screen or looking, looking at the news.
4: It feels like she gets almost as much screen time as him.
1: I think so, yeah. Uh, And I think it's because she has her own story. If she'd been the main character uh, and Gerard Butler hadn't been in it at all, it would still be an incredible film. So uh, I think that's really important to have someone like that be an integral part of the plot. I think she's a great actor and she really conveyed what that character was going through at the time. I was really right there with her for much of the movie. I just wanted to maybe recommend this one because not only did I really enjoy it, it was a great distraction, but I maybe wanted to kind of convey the message that you might have seen Greenland pop up on your Amazon homepage and you thought, Mm oh God, (laughs) that looks pretty shit. Um, Do try and maybe cast those aspersions aside because I do think this one is a little bit more than that. Have any of you guys seen it?
0: I had no interest in seeing it, but I, I listened to another podcast on Sunday afternoon where someone recommended it made quite a few similar points that you have. Um, <laughs> so
1: okay, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll level with our listeners. Uh, this is the second time we're talking about this particular recommendation because I messed up my audio and it's, uh, yeah, it kind of, it went away for like Which an hour. a bit of a
4: theme <laughs> for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But I find it quite interesting that, you know, I recommended it and then both you, John and Peter saw it in the <laughs> evening. So sometimes my words get through. Yes. Yeah. I mean I <laughs> did
0: I did actually go and watch I it. And obviously we ignore all the sexist stuff, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I think it's a good streaming film. I think it would have got lost at the cinema maybe. Yeah. So I think it, I think Amazon Prime is its right place, but it's a lot smarter than the traditional action movie. There's a lot going on
4: yeah and it's 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 not just about the spectacle which i think Mm -hmm. is one of the better things it's about the human drama and how you are going to find each other again in a a crowd of people Mm
0: -hmm. it did lose me a little bit towards the end yeah once they get somewhere and then they decide to go somewhere else
4: (laughs) (laughs) nice unspoilery way of describing that yes but they would actually have been splattered and died if they'd stayed where they were
1: I think after the, after everything that they'd been through um, hmm. and knowing what they'd been through to be in that place, they thought if we just have a minuscule chance of making it and surviving, we should, we should do it.
0: It was kind of an optimistic film in the way that the various people reacted. So whilst you did get some people who were horrible and monstrous, yeah. overall the message was that people did come together and help each other. I thought it was quite a positive film. Would you say it's more Deep Impact than Armageddon?
4: Uh, in a way, because it's it's kind of trying for a uh, more realism, whereas Armageddon is yeah, we don't care about realism, what
0: the hell.
1: I do think it's more similar to Deep Impact in it's more focused on humanity and the characters. And mm-hmm. yes, the, the Armageddon had a it probably had quadruple the budget for this one. This one is more of a sounds weird to say it for an action movie, but it is more of a character piece.
0: I would say it's a drama with action sequences.
1: Yeah, but saying that, I've I've seen far worse effects on bigger budget movies mm. than this one had. Um, I think the comet and the destruction that it causes is actually done really well.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought the kid was very good. Uh, yes. Nathan. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. it relied
4: on him quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So how many? Small shards that could destroy a city or possibly a country depending on the angle of impact out of 10. Would you give it?
1: <laughs> I'd give it uh eight shards that could possibly destroy a city depending on the angle of the impacts <laughs> out of 10. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Close
0: enough, yeah.
1: Very much worth your time. You know, it, might, it probably won't feature in your top 10 lists of the year, but um I don't think you'll regret giving it a watch.
4: Yeah, I second that. It's an evening well spent. Yeah, sofa with a beer
2: and a pizza, movie. I think. And sometimes that's what you need.
1: absolutely, Ian, bring us home.
2: I have three short recommendations. The first one is this is something I've talked about on the pod before, so I'm just going to briefly go over it. But I recently finished the Expanse season five. We are sleeping on the Expanse. It's going to be remembered as a great, great, great science fiction show. It's kind of hard science. It's uh, quite political. The cast of that show are going places. I'm convinced we're going to start seeing them crop up in a bunch more stuff. We would be exception. Actually, a couple of exceptions, but mm. there are some very good people in it. And honestly, if you love sci-fi and you haven't been watching it, do give it a go. I know a lot of people criticise it for being slow at the start. You will soon know if you like it or not, I think. When the kind of core cast gets together, and you'll know this because they're all on a spaceship together and it's fun, you will know at that point if you want to go any further or not. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed season five. It landed very well, and the next season has got an interesting hook going straight into it.
0: Mm, it's the last season. The next one, isn't it? Is that I understand. I
2: believe so. Yeah, they're actually they they are bringing it to a head. If for some reason it's passed you by, or you tried it and, and gave up, do go back to it. It's been thoroughly entertaining to me. My second recommendation is the latest season of Fortnite, the free to play multiplayer game. This is Geek City. The season is all about hunting and famous hunters. It kicked off with The Mandalorian, that if you buy the season pass, you can play as The Mandalorian, build his armor, get Baby Yoda. Over the course of the season, they've introduced more hunters. The Predator, with cloaking, hiding in a jungle that attacks you in a really weird and cool way. The Terminator and the Sarah Connor. And just a couple of days ago as we record this, Ripley and the Xenomorph were introduced to the game. I don't generally buy skins, I don't generally do that, but I bought Ripley because you're going to. Playing as Ripley, I jumped from a school bus, which is how you start each round, dived into the Predators jungle compound, where I uh, dug under an Aztec temple into a hidden base and ran down the stairs to complete an objective. I could hear another player coming, so I hid. Watched as they ran down the stairs, it was the Xenomorph. So me as Ripley jumped out with a shotgun in front of the alien. The alien saw me, recognized I was Ripley, started dancing as I shotgunned him in the face. (laughs) This is, without doubt, the third best alien film ever. And it was a round of Fortnite I played. Like, it's a lot of fun. It's constantly updated. The crossovers in it are insane. You can be John Wick. You can be Batman. You can be, you know, Ripley, as I've said. There's so many different characters in this space the only crossover i can think of like it is something like ready player one and this is a lot more fun than that so again download it if you've got space on your playstation or xbox give it a go it's uh, it's been great so if you're wearing a ripley skin mm-hmm. do
4: you keep running into other people wearing ripley skins as well no
2: so there's two versions of the game but there's the free-to-play version of the game is like a hundred player battle royale with various different modes. You land on an island, uh, a kind of storm contracts around the island, bringing players together until there's only one left. It makes its money on people buying extra content like skins and so on. They've done a very, very, very good job. I've never encountered a situation where it's obvious I'm seeing a lot of the same skin. Technically, you'd expect the same ones to load in again and again. Because these are worth something to people, they're obviously put a lot of attention into making sure What you are actually wearing is what people are seeing because you will be playing with your friends and so on. It's just a very fun game. It's more cartoony than you expect. And where else can you see John Wick get killed by Harley Quinn? Um, Generally,
3: I am bad at multiplayer games. Will I get any enjoyment out of Fortnite or will I die in about three seconds every time?
2: Um, The answer to both is yes. Each round begins with a school bus (laughs) suspended under a hot air balloon flying over an island you can choose at any point to jump out of this school bus now depending on how you want to play you can go to areas which appear to be popular generally ones that are on the flight path um, named locations towns bridges villages that you know that kind of thing if you want to go and do something else you can you will eventually be drawn towards other players by how the storm happens If you buy a season pass, which every month there are kind of like objectives and skins and things you get for a bundle of cash costs about a fiver, you will get many objectives to do other stuff. So whereas hardcore players are landing in cities and like fighting to the death straight away, you can go to the coast, go fishing for a bit, (laughs) you know, pick apples, this kind of stuff and still have some entertainment value. I use it as a social platform to talk to my friends. Like there's a couple of people I play with. We will drop into a game, run around, be John Wick or Captain America and just natter about our day. That's how I have my fun with it. I'm probably not the target demographic because I'm 45 and I have been playing with like a random team where one of the players was um, shouted at by his mum because he hadn't got his pyjamas on yet. I think it was about like (laughs) half seven at night. That kind of thing does happen.
0: Was it awkward? Did you you have to tell your mum to be quiet because you were busy playing the game?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mum... I've thoroughly enjoyed this one. It's a very solid game and I've been playing it on and off for a couple of years. A lot of fun. But what I actually wanted to talk about, my grown-up recommendation, is I've just finished um, I Hate Lucy on Sky Atlantic.
1: I Hate Lucy? Oh,
2: fuck me. I've just finished. <laughs> I
1: love Lucy personally.
2: After <laughs> one division.
0: I'm ambivalent about Lucy.
2: So my grown-up recommendation is, I Hate Susie on Sky Atlantic. So I Hate Susie is a drama about a former child star actress called Susie Pickles, whose life is exploded when photos of her in an indiscreet position are published online. It's uh, written by Lucy Preble, who's um, a British playwright who has done some TV. She's like worked on Succession, which I'm a particular fan of, um, that she created with Billy Piper, the star of the show. Billy obviously drawing on her experience of being a celebrity from a very young age and having kind of a somewhat tumultuous life that's been splashed all over the press. What I've thoroughly enjoyed about this is it's an amazingly visceral show. It is filmed so it's totally in like uh, Susie's face all the time as she's thinking through the consequences of her actions and other people's actions and how they impact on her life. It's a comedy drama that is definitely on the darker edge. But it is such a personal performance, it's such a well-conceived performance, that I was just utterly sucked in by it. The season ends on a moment of perfect drama, which I was not expecting, because a lot of the action seems quite mundane, like uh, Susie dealing with her marriage breaking down, to um, Cobb, played by Daniel Ings, who's an amazing actor and playing like a thorough bastard in this. Uh, she has an amazing relationship with her best friend and agent Naomi. They've got this kind of complex relationship. They've known each other since they were kids and they're in this weird like business sort of dependency on each other. It's a rude show. It's, you know, a show with sexual content but sort of about the mundanity of sex somehow. It's definitely a show a man couldn't write. It's it's so very much from a woman's point of view. But the characters are allowed to be pretty horrible to each other all the time. It's a really grimy look at life that I found just utterly compelling. I've been trying to find shows which give me voices which aren't mine, like experiences I don't normally have. I really fell for Russian Doll a few years back. And this is a show which is just, it's just surprised me at how good it is and how good uh, like Billy Piper specifically is. I could see her getting a, a huge kind of US career off this. Um, I've been reading interviews about it because I followed the writer Lucy Prebble from Succession to some other stuff. Secret Diary of a Call Girl, is that her as well? So Secret Diary of a Call Girl was Where the Two Met, which was an adaptation of a blog by a woman who wrote under the name Belle de Jour, basically about her sex life. And so they've been into this kind of, you know, sort of sex and reality drama for as long as they've known each other. I, I want more people to watch it and I want more people to talk about it because it's really surprised me just sort of how solid it is. I've not really got an opinion about Billy Piper. Like I, I don't follow any celebrity stuff. I thought she was great in Doctor Who, and I know she's had a couple of marriages with people who were perhaps a little bit questionable. But I've zero interest in that.
1: And mm-hmm. pop singer because we want to, because we want to. Sorry, Billy Piper was my <laughs> era. <laughs> she actually does sing in the show.
2: It's an extremely focused show. It's it's so deliberately put together. I was thoroughly impressed by it. So if you want something a little bit different, a little bit kind of grimy in its depiction of life, I'd thoroughly recommend it.
4: I've only seen the first episode. I enjoyed that. The only thing I wasn't sure is, was that something I wanted to stay with that person for a series,
2: as her life was falling apart? It seems to be a kind of drama or show that men make about themselves, which is a bit confessional, but the result is always oh someone saying, oh, it's OK. You, you're all right. You know what I mean? We know you've got flaws, but you're fine. Now, when women do the same thing, it never seems to end like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just like they never have anyone telling them that they're doing OK. And this is that show. So I understand the kind of the nastiness of that. But that's what makes it really attractive to me. And I just want more shows where voices that aren't like mine get to dickhead about and play sort of extremely flawed characters and it's fine you know what i mean it's just i, I really took, i really took to it
1: yeah sounds great where can we watch that? that is
2: on sky atlantic
1: yeah i think i'll be giving that a go cool you've persuaded me
4: so how many imploding lives out of 10
2: <laughs> eight i'm going lower than a slightly well because some people find it extremely hard to watch
1: And that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks time but in the meantime do keep up with our news and antics on social media. We're at NerdFist UK on Twitter and Facebook and if you've enjoyed the episode do leave us a review on whichever platform that you're listening to that will go a nice long way to giving us a bump in listeners and will stroke our fragile egos Um, (laughs) (laughs) Plus if you do that, John has a great reward for you. What is it this Week, John. Yes, sir.
0: Uh, if you leave us a review, I will come up to your house and sit on your sofa and play Xbox with you until my mum tells me it's time to put my pyjamas on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> until next time, you've been listening to.
0: A man
3: who
2: would like Nicholas Holt and Al Fanning to win all the awards. Huzzah! <laughs> a man who hates technology, mistakes, and mistakes with technology. <laughs>
4: Um, a man who is pleased with how successful he's passing as human. Oops.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> a man whose nipples are charred beyond belief but still can't stop thinking about Nicholas. <laughs> Get out!
1: <laughs> <laughs> and a woman who would like to personally apologise for how many times the term penis drill has been mentioned on this episode. <laughs> See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
4: Bye. Bye. Uh, John, can you give us a clean one of yours?
0: Yeah. Uh, what was it? A man whose nipples are charred beyond belief, but still can't stop thinking about Nicholas. Sky! Ow!
4: I just want to hear
3: you suffer once more. <laughs> Hugh Bonneville was very good in Paddington. Sorry.